outside the tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom, that's Joe, and we're here to talk about Kelsey with dope. Okay, Legit cookie dough. But before we do, if you have not already done so, Go get our new book, Entrepreneurial Landmines. Sidestep the big mistakes and scale your business now. Narrated on Audible, available on Audible, narrated by Tom Healy. That's right. So you can buy it on Audible, you can buy it on Amazon, you can get the Kindle version, the paperback version, or you can do none of that and just go to OutsideTheTank.com and get a free copy. Why make Bezos rich? He's I don't already know. going to, to space, for God's sakes. That's exactly Take right. Take a free book from us. So go to OutsideTheTank.com, get your free copy uh, via... Uh, you can pop it into your Kindle, you can get the PDF, you can get the audio copy, and we're going to put it into this feed as well. It's almost four hours long, but it's great stuff. I did my best to keep the energy level high while I narrated it without losing my voice. And so I'll tell you, I, my, my uh, respect goes out to narrators and voiceover, voiceover guys. Yeah. Tough work. You have a voice and face for radio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what about TV? Would I be good on TV? No, I'm, I'm the guy that should be on TV. Oh, you'd be like the uh, fun, fun grandpa next door. It just come on, moves. come on, get okay. off my yard. Okay. All right, so let's pregame this Dope. great episode. Legit cookie dough. So here's the deal. Kelsey goes in asking four hundred and fifty thousand dollars for ten percent. Would she have? Well, at the time, she has actual brick-and-mortar business. So she's uh, in the Bay Area. She's in Vegas. Um, I I went and, like, saw her store. I, I remember this. I'm like, that's so cool. And then COVID hit. And so she actually pivoted, which we're going to talk all about. But what she went into Shark Tank for was this store concept. She's operating this uh, 1,100 square feet um, out of uh, – I'm sorry, $1,100 of sales – Per square foot, she's getting uh, out of this store um, $850,000 of sales in a year and a half of business. So she's rocking and rolling with this store. You know, she's going to open up more locations, all this stuff. She comes in really, really sharp, knows her numbers. Uh, what happened? Well, it, <clears throat> it didn't work out that well from the standpoint that the Sharks as a whole were really challenged by health issues, obesity issues. Uh, they saw her as a very, very skilled operator, store owner, but they didn't see what was coming. So there's the rest of the story here. Yes. You're, you're going to love this interview. Kelsey's awesome. Her story's awesome. So many great lessons for entrepreneurs. Let's get to the interview. All right. We're here with Kelsey of Dope. Kelsey, welcome to Outside the Tank. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we are really excited. We were chatting before we hit record here, and there's a lot of updates. So we, we have a lot to, to talk to you <laughs> and grill you about. But 
the good news is it's all good. So yeah. we'll start at the beginning of this thing where, you know, I love cookie dough. Joe loves all food. I love all food. So <laughs> where, where does the idea for dope come from? Yeah. I mean, like you guys, big food lover and my whole family is, you know, I grew up with a mom and a stepmom and a grandma that all love to cook and bake. And when I was a kid, you know, baking was my jam. And I was like, I don't want to make any of these other recipes. Like get me the cookie book. I loved making different types of cookies and like the creativity that comes with cookies. You know, they're like a blank canvas. You can make whatever you like. And like many others, I often enjoy eating the cookie dough a little bit more than the baked cookie. Um, but it was a nice balance to have a little bit of dough and then bake some cookies. So um, I ended up taking a totally different course from food when I first got into the workforce and started um, my career at Intel when I was 16 years old. I was working part-time every school year and full-time every summer for 10 years. And over that time, I developed a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol and drinking and working was just my whole life. And I had really lost sight of the baking and um, even running and yoga, other things that, you know, really make me, me. So when I decided to get sober in 2015, my life just blossomed and I was back in the kitchen baking every night and weekend um, outside of my time at Intel. And slowly but surely, you know, I got this idea that um, maybe I should try my hand at entrepreneurship. I had all this energy and I just loved making desserts for other people. Um, and with a little bit of a, a trick I'd learned from baking vegan, at least as a part-time vegan, I was using butter, but no eggs and my cookie dough was safe to eat raw and to bake. And so I thought everybody loves cookie dough. Like, why can you not go out and buy a scoop of it? I'm going to, I'm going to try this thing. And here we are now. So I've got a natural the question just popped into my head, just thinking about Michael Gerber and, uh, his book, the E-Myth, he uses this mythical, uh, baker named Sarah. And everyone told Sarah she made just the most wonderful cookies and 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 snacks. And you should open a store. You should go into business. You should sell that. Were you getting a lot of that from people? You should go into business selling these products. Yeah, I mean, and I listened to them in the beginning, even with all the baked goods too. So I got sober in Oregon while I was still working for Intel there, and um, you know, all the cakes and cookies and things I was bringing into the office. And, you know, I started a little bakery, like an at-home bakery that I was doing like, um, cakes for people's kids' birthdays or, you know, like an anniversary cake or something. And I had a blast, but you know, the economics of it weren't so perfect. So I love their advice, but it was more of like a passion project, like love thing. And then Intel moved me to San Francisco for a new job inside the company. I put the bakery on the side and then sort of those wheels stopped, started moving again. Um, cause I had just had so much fun building the brand side of it too. You know, when I was doing the bakery that, that itch just doesn't leave. Once you've created something, you're like, what's going to be my next thing? Let's do it. So then cookie dough came along. So you go from a huge corporation to maybe having a couple part-time employees. I don't even know if you had that initially. Yeah. That took a couple <laughs> months. Even. Yeah. Compare and contrast them. I mean, you know, what, um, what was the difference between those and, and maybe what are some of the things about being an entrepreneur that you've enjoyed more? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest jumps is just like the fluidness of your schedule, right? That there's nobody saying you need to be here for a meeting at eight and you need to like leave at five. And, you know, there's, there was no schedule outside of like, okay, I've got to run this event at 2 PM at Uber or something. You know, I was doing a lot of catering in the beginning. Um, and I was solo for the first two months, you know, didn't have any employees. So it was also quite isolating. Like you go from this, like nonstop, you know, surrounded by tons of people, thousands of people in an office 
uh, and commuting, you know, there and back every day. So I'll tell you off the bat, that was the best saver that I didn't have to get on that dang train for an hour and a half down and in the morning and back because it was, uh, you know, down in South Bay from San Francisco. So that was a, a lot of time savings, but it was very isolating and a bit confusing with the lack of structure. I realized after 10 years of having this like really set schedule Monday to Friday, it turning into like, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, you forget to eat lunch sometimes. And then you're working through the weekends and, um, it's very energizing and exciting, but then all of a sudden it catches up with you. And I remember after about the first month, I was like, I need to put some structure in place. And I started to make it where, you know, Monday is a accounting day and Tuesday I do marketing stuff and, you know, trying to get some functional structure to help me feel a little more like, okay, here's a plan. And like, can I take one day off a weekend, you know, or an afternoon off or something and, um, really try to use my calendar to bring a little sanity. <laughs> it was just crazy. And so you had been in business about a year and a half by the time you ended up on Shark Tank. Yeah. Yeah. Just about. Um, I filmed for the show in September of 2018. Um, so that would have been about the year and a half mark. And then it aired in May of the following year. Um, and how did yeah. you end up on the show? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? I went the good old fashioned traditional way. You know, I had an employee who was like the Shark Tank auditions coming to town. You know, we had our store at Pier 39 at the time and she's like, you got to go. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm such a, like, I was being a very like rational person. Like the chances of me getting on are so slim. And like, I've got a lot to do. I don't know if I want to go sit on this curb at 6am tomorrow morning, but um, you know, she really pushed me to do it and was like, no, I have the cookie dough samples ready for you. Like just come by the pier and get it. You got to go. And I went and I sat on that curb for like three hours to get let in. And I pitched, you know, you get 90 seconds to tell them why you're going to just kick ass. And um, I did it. And then they started eating the cookie dough and I was in there for a few more than 90 seconds. Cause they were just like chowing on it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, you know, from there, it's a couple of months, you know, I think it was like, um, the audition was maybe May or June. And then you filmed in, I filmed in September. So yeah, it's a, it was a long ride of like, am I going to be on, am I going to be on? And you're making it through these different rounds. And then you finally get the call that, you're going to be filmed. Um, and my film date was like the day before my two year sobriety anniversary. So that was a super awesome little uh, reminder that I'm doing something right. Yeah. Three year sobriety anniversary. <laughs> well, con congratulations on that. That's Thanks. awesome. Uh, you, you're on the show. You, you came across fantastic. Um, some had more of a sweet tooth than others. You know, from your perspective, were you happy with the pitch you gave? Were you disappointed you didn't get a deal? What was that experience like for you? You know, I have space in my heart for both. I'm very proud of myself and I was disappointed, you know, in how it turned out um, to some degree. I, I was so proud that, you know, I really like, I flashcarded this, you know, like I was in college studying for a test. I was not going to be caught off my heels and be confused by some question. And, you know, I knew my numbers like front back in Spanish. Like I could have done that. <laughs> I could have done that whole thing in whatever language they wanted. Cause I was so confident that I really knew, you know, not only my business and like the focus and the passion, but that I would know the numbers too. So though the moments before those doors opened, I was like, I am definitely going to pee my pants. I was like, so sure the nerves were just going to like take over. And this was the end for me. Like I was going to be the girl that Peter pants on Shark Tank. And then the doors open and like that just went away. And I'm like, I'm ready for this. I've prepared and I'm going to do it. And I hit the mark and nailed the first pitch opener. 
And, you know, then they're like, do we get samples? And it, and it just started from there. And then, um, you know, I was just most caught off guard by the questions being around, you know, oh, is it, it's not good for people. And I will tell you what, that is the last thing I thought we were going to talk about was that it's a dessert. I'm like, and, you know, I just kept being like, yes, but it's an indulgence. It's to treat yourself. It's a a moment of self-care and self-love that you get to enjoy. So um, some of those questions were very like, just jarring as, you know, Cubans like scarfing down the sample plate, telling me how it's not good for you. I'm like, but it's delicious. And like, what do they serve at all of your stadiums? I absolutely, <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to ask you about this because I thought it was kind of humorous because uh, yeah. Mark Cuban invested in Fat Shack. And I bet you if you look in their portfolios, there's some other quote unquote unhealthy foods, but uh, you didn't prepare for that. How did that affect you? That set you back during the presentation? Were you able to fight back through those emotions? Certainly was able to fight back through the emotions, but in my head I was going, is this real life? You know, because I remember <laughs> Robert saying like, you know, what percentage of people would you say like cookie dough? And I'm like, I would say a significant amount of people, you know, it was like, it's a unicorn when you find someone who's like, I don't like cookie dough, you know, or perhaps it's someone from another country that um, it's not so common outside of America. So they're like, I don't know, what is it? You know, we face that a little bit in tourist locations, having to explain that like in America, people eat the cookie dough before it's baked. But to this group, I'm thinking, they're going to love it. Like, have they not made cookies with their kids and snuck a bite in the kitchen? Um, surely they have at some point. And, you know, and then I'm being met with this odd criticism. It was almost like, like out of left field, like is that, are we really talking about this? Um, and because I hadn't prepared for it, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, man, I would have shared that we're preservative free, that we're made in a kitchen, not a lab. You know, it's all natural ingredients that make up the base recipe of every single flavor. And then we add Oreos or we had chocolate chips or we had rainbow sprinkles, you know, have a little fun in your life, but it's flour, butter, brown sugar, baking soda, flaxseed, vanilla, and salt. And like the end, you know, there's no crazy stuff in this. So if you're going to have a treat, have something that's made like you'd make at home, you know, and I didn't really, I didn't even think to come with a lot of those points. Cause it was like, they're just going to be excited. This is an awesome snack category, dessert category. And, um, uh, you know, let's get in on it. But, you know, it, and, in and the end, for, this is incredible. For the record, I don't know anyone that doesn't like cookie dough. And I won't associate with <laughs> anyone who doesn't like cookie dough. Yeah, we don't trust them. I mean, it's really, it's questionable <laughs> life choices if you don't like cookie dough. Yeah, it's just too funny. Um, but it is what it is. And I was very just grateful to, for all the kind things they said. You know, I still take away those quotes of like Barbara Corcoran saying I was the most sophisticated store owner she had ever met. Um, Robert had said I was top 10 entrepreneurs who'd ever walked through the doors. I mean, it's just some of that stuff. I remember, I think I actually said, I like out loud, I was like, I can't wait to tell my dad that like, he's going to be so proud to hear that you just said that about me. Um, but you know, in the end, didn't get a deal and kept my head high, um, clicked my heels and waved and then turned around and like the reality struck. I was like walking down the hallway to leave. And it was just like, Whoa, that did not end. Like I thought. And I just lost it. I started crying hysterically, like hyperventilating. It was a real emotional cliff dive from all of the buildup that was to that moment and just how intense it was to go through that experience and it not to end the way you thought. I was really feeling the feelings, but, um, you know, the producers and edit editing team ended up not airing that footage of me crying, which I really appreciated. You know, they let it end very strong and I was, um, you know, excited to see the sharks again one day. I'll be sitting up in a chair with them. 
were, were those, was that flood of emotions from the fact that you just assumed going into the show that you would get a deal? Absolutely thought, yeah, I would get a deal. You know, I really felt so confident that I was going to be able to do it. Felt so sure that it was a great investment for them to be a part of. And, um, you know, and surely, surely it was. So yeah, I think it was just a, a big, like, whoa, I didn't expect that. And, and like this conflicting internal feeling of like, they just said so many incredible things about me. Like Mark Cuban said, it's an incredible investment. Like everything you've done is amazing, but I can't get behind companies that say let's eat more or whatever it was. And it's like, I was just like this confusion of like, yes, there's so many good things, but this, and then you don't know if it's going to air. So you also hit this wall of like, Oh God, now I'm one of the options that they will show that don't get a deal, but you feel more confident if you get a deal that they're going to want to show the episode. So, um, you know, you have to just trust that it was entertaining enough and you're interesting enough or your, your concept is interesting enough to get aired. Well, here's what I thought was odd is you went in there. It's not like you had, you know, borrowed $5 million to get this thing up and running. You didn't have any crazy debt. You had great margins. There was proof of concept and it tastes really good. And they agreed. And then I'm looking at this going, okay, you get Kelsey, who's super smart. They and loved her acumen. Yeah, they loved her acumen. And then you could have, I mean, even if they didn't agree with your vision, they could have said, hey, I want to, you know, Barbara could have said, I've experienced success with food trucks, so let's do that. Or let's franchise it. Or let's just wholesale at the grocery stores and get out of the business. Or let's go crazy with e-commerce. I just felt as I'm watching you, I'm like, well, there's so many great directions you could take this company all of which yeah. I believe would be successful. So did you feel that way too? And I mean, I, I, I don't know what the question is other than I'm just telling you that I felt there were so many <laughs> ways you could have gone. Were you surprised that none of them saw any path? Yeah. I mean, and particularly like a great focus is that I had spent that first year and a half or so, whatever it was at that time, um, really testing all these different areas, you know, saying like, um, let's try a little in wholesale. And, you know, we were being sold at a pizza shop at that time, one out of every two customers adding it to their order. Um, like, and you know, it was just like so many signs that were those small in revenue compared to what we were doing at Pier 39. Um, I was testing those other areas. So certainly this like openness to say e-commerce, we were, we were touching our toes in there though, very small compared to what we're doing now. Um, you know, we were trying that out and they could have said, this is going to crush on D 2 C. Like this is great for e-commerce. It's a great product margin. If you can get the fulfillment chain, right. And all these things that I've now learned without them, um, you know, it's, it's, it was a great opportunity for them. And, you know, the valuation at the time, his debate on, well, how much money is, you know, really left over at the day. And then, oh, you're only a, you know, you're trying to do a 10 X multiple on like the free cash flow or something. And it's like, who values a startup in that manner? You know, when you have so much upside, you've got obviously a great trajectory to show what has happened in true sales the last 12 months. But I mean, the upside portions of it are, are dramatic when you're at this early stage. And I had a 1.4 million valuation for my first investor three months into the business. So it, it wasn't to me out of the question what I was asking for. And now, you know, we're raising um, 5 million in capital right now. And, you know, those sharks are going to wish they had a piece of it. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 yeah, that's what I want to get to is, you know, what happened immediately after the show and then what's going on in the business now and what does the, the future hold? So take us through 
the first couple days after the show airs. How does your life change? How does the business change? What happened when you aired in, in May of 2019? Yeah, so when the filming um, was done, you know, I was down in LA, so I had to drive back up to San Francisco. And um, as part of DOPE's efforts around mental health and addiction recovery, we have our initiative DOPE for Hope. Uh, we offer all of our employees mental health days. So my butt took a mental health day. I was like, I just can't today. You know, I really, I needed a, a whole day to just decompress. I think I stayed in bed for like six hours <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah. just, you know, tried to just relax. Sometimes you just need those turn off days. I think I went for a long run, um, had some tea, talked to my mom, called my dad, you know, and it was just kind of a decompressed day because it was really emotionally draining is like the, the lightest way I could even describe that. It was just so exhausting to have gone through this. Um, but you know, got through that. And then you wait these months to hear if you're actually going to air. So the anxiety didn't stop. I actually, you know, you're not allowed to tell anyone you were even filmed for the show. So a lot of this, you're just like dealing with inside, you know, um, and, and just waiting to hear, then we get the call that it's going to air. And, um, you know, we had a watch party, like a viewing party set up. So we had around 50 people, just all my friends and my family came out from uh, Sacramento to watch it live. Uh, I have divorced parents too. So this was like one of the few times in my like <laughs> adult life that I've seen them in the same room together. But, you know, them and my step parents, you know, they're all so supportive of me and they were absolutely not going to miss the chance to watch their baby girl air on national television. So it was super fun. When the first time I saw my parents get anywhere near each other was like my high school graduation for like a picture. It was so <laughs> awkward. So I can appreciate yeah. that. I'm like, it was yes. so weird. <laughs> it's just weird sometimes, but you know, they're cordial when they need to be right. It's like, it's about what's happening with this uh, human they've created and what awesome, awesome stuff they're doing in the world. So graduations and shark tank airings are the exceptions to the norm. That's right. So <laughs> I want to know what's happened to the business since because, and we chatted a minute before we started recording, but it sounds like things have changed a lot. So before we get into that, I want to know how that happened. So your brick and mortar, your stores, there's San Francisco, there's Vegas. When did all that change? Why did it change? And what did you shift towards? Yeah. So right after we aired, um, and I was raising funds on the show to open a store in Las Vegas, this booze free cookie dough bar, you know, a chance for us to take our mission right to the strip in Las Vegas and Sin City. Um, and so that, that mission and goal didn't change, you know, wanting to open up this store. Um, I just needed to keep searching for investors. So I found another investor two months later and uh, got the funding, moved out to Las Vegas to oversee the construction through the winter. And, um, we opened up that store in March of 2019. Uh, incredibly lucky timing because then the episode would air just a few months after that. So, you know, people who were going online to check us out and say like, oh, did they open that store, you know, and then, or, oh, I'm in Vegas right now. I should see if they got that store open. So like our Google map, like search listings were through the moon. Um, so, you know, we, we kept on with the store. The San Francisco store, Pier 39, was still open at the time, um, but later that summer, we made the decision to close the San Francisco store. The contrast of running operations in Las Vegas versus what was happening in San Francisco and the rising cost of doing business there just made the most sense for us to really hunker down on this sort of like flagship store concept and really having like one that would would be the um, dough winner, if you will. And um and so we moved, uh, my husband and I moved out to Las Vegas and this was, 
you know, now fall of 2019, kind of this reset opportunity to say, what's the right thing for the growth of the business and this second channel. And franchising had been an idea, um, you know, since the beginning of the company, as I was really focused on that brick and mortar store um, concept. And after Shark Tank aired, we had like 120 franchisees reach out interested in opening up a a dope franchise. And so um, all very overwhelming, but something in my intuition, like told me to hold back and thank goodness I did. I mean, you guys know what's happened to physical locations over the last year with this pandemic and what seems to just be a pretty long road ahead of us. So I'm glad that we hadn't done that. And, you know, my husband's got a great background in operations and finance. He's an immigrant from Brazil with the Deloitte consulting experience and uh, project management. So really sharp guy and finance and ops are not my strong suit Um, (laughs) as, as heavy. You know, there's always stuff you can do, but are you the best at it? Does it come as naturally? And for me, the marketing sales the dreamer side, the product side is certainly more my skill set. So he was a great yin to my yang um, to really start to look at the numbers. And it was, uh, it was, is my husband who said, you know, we should really look at e-commerce. Like we did all these economics of what the different channels we were trying in. And it was like 2020 is going to be our year of focus. Let's pull back from these distracting channels. Let's get e-commerce to be what we thought at the time, you know, let's get something that could be 20% of the brick and mortar business, at least to have a little buffer. And within four months, we had grown our online business 100x. We went from shipping 30 boxes a month in November to 3,000 boxes a week in April. It was just mind-blowing. You know, we we grew so quickly, um, April and on, you know, continuing to refine our marketing tactics and strategies and how we keep growing with new customer acquisition. Um, We've learned so much about the paid advertising world in the last year and, and what it takes to really grow that that side um, and retention marketing. How do you make sure that people keep buying? Uh, our reorder cycle is you know, between eight to 18 days uh, for a second purchase. So what are we doing to make sure we're on top of that with email and SMS um, and the fulfillment and logistics side, which is really took the lead on, You know, we were still fulfilling ourselves from our storefront in Vegas until the closure in March of which we got t- like 24 hour notice that the store was gonna have to be closed. And that's where we were doing our e-commerce production. So we're driving around, calling every commercial kitchen we can find in Vegas to try and take us in because we have orders to ship tomorrow. You know, this was like midday on a Tuesday. We we had another 600 orders or something to go out on Wednesday. So it was absolutely like just mind blowing the amount of work and effort that went into last spring um, when we were at the store doing graveyard shifts through the night because we had to be serving customers in the store during the day. Um, at one point we had to sort of like block off the back half of the store to be packing orders and keep up there. Uh, so it was just a wild transition. And, you know, with the store closed, you get to see, you know, how are your operations when you are laser focused on one area, um, that you're, you know, ramping up. And when the store reopened, sales were down 82% year over year, foot traffic was just dismal, lots of other stores already closing, um, or choosing to not reopen, you know, because of the foot traffic being so low, it just made the most sense for us to turn our sights towards what was working and, um, and get out of, you know, what's a not very scalable channel in general, but also just super expensive to operate. Um, And it just wasn't going to make sense for us in the long run to stay there. So we closed and just kept flying. And we ended up closing 2020 with 2.5 million sales online um, from 50,000 online the year before. So really a testament to that 
what you're doing one day does not have to be your forever. And as long as you're nimble enough and you're willing to literally never sleep for a few months, um, you can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we often say inside of every business, there's a better business. You just have to find it. Would you say that COVID, not from an illness and death standpoint, certainly, but mm -hmm. the effects of COVID on the retail trade was a blessing for you because it really accelerated uh, your focus uh, on e-commerce? Yeah, I mean, similarly, like with the loss and everything that COVID has brought, I would absolutely not wish this again on anybody, um, but going with what happened and making the most of it, you know, we certainly did. And we certainly made the most of a otherwise, you know, negative situation and were able to stay nimble enough to move into what was working the loss on both, you know, blood, sweat and tears that went into building that store and that my, you know, dreams and hopes and ideas for dope had really revolved around what that in-person experience was going to be. That took some like emotional talk throughs for myself of, you know, why we're doing what we're doing and that our mission actually has the chance to live on and be even stronger with D2C and, and not letting the store sort of take us down. So um, yeah, there was, there was kind of like an emotional pull with that and the staffing side, having to lay off staff who had worked so hard with us um, right. at that store. Uh, none of that's easy, but. Um, is, there, yeah. is there a lesson possibly there for other entrepreneurs? And uh, I use a phrase falling in love with your original idea or your, or your business model. Is there a lesson there that you could share uh, with other entrepreneurs about letting go a little bit and saying, hey, we're, you know, we did put so much yeah. of our blood, sweat, and tears in it. Is there a lesson there? hundred percent. I mean, it's like, you really have to be able to remove your emotions and look at the numbers. And um, it's very helpful to have a second person there. You know, I spent the beginning of my dope as a solo founder, solo CEO, and it's just not quite the same when you're the lonely one at the top. You know, you really do need someone else who's able to give it to you straight and say, this doesn't make sense for the business. Cause if I was alone, probably could have convinced myself all these other reasons of that, you know, I think it'll come back or we put too much into it or, you know, what if, what if, what if, and it's nice to have a second person, particularly in my case, someone who's so like numbers focused to say, bottom line, here's what's possible. And here's what's going to happen if we don't, and, you know, really make those hard decisions and yeah, removing your emotions as a, a founder is incredibly important. Yeah, sometimes the ops person or the CFO person can be looked at as the dream stiller or dream killer yeah. in a business. But I think every visionary like you, you're playing the role of a visionary, tremendous um, inspiration, uh, yeah. the heart and soul of the brand. Every visionary needs someone to balance their thinking and force them to look at the metrics and the numbers. Yeah, yeah. So he's co-CEO with the company now, and it's a great balance there. It really does. We challenge each other and we have different interests in mind when we talk about things, you know, what will the, I'm always like, what will the customers want? And like the dreamy case for them. And then we have to come to some realization of what makes sense on the number. So it's a great balance. It's a great balance. And it's very hard to find if you don't have someone who's, um, it's not even just a financial investment in the business, like the, um, the equity side of it, you know, founders can be so tight on their equity and you just won't be able to get someone who's going to be a right hand with you unless you're married to them or you give them a fair chunk of the company. Um, and they really feel like they're also grinding all day and night for something that they're going to be a part of, you know, in the long run. Um, 
And, and I struggled with that through the years before finding is and having him join the team. Yeah. I want to ask you, so, you know, 2.5 million in 2020, I am confident that that number is going to go up in 2021. You are no longer making this yourself, packaging it yourself. You've built a team. So, you know, what have you learned as you've built a team and what are the types of people you're looking for to work in your company? Yeah. Um, so our team dynamic has changed so much now, um, you know, not being in brick and mortar, it's not the, the 14 hours a day that we need a store to be running. Instead, it's really planned operations of the manufacturing of the dough and the packing and shipping of it to customers. And because we have such a heavy focus on brand, you know, brand is just so important with dope and the growth in the marketing side. Um, we did hire a co-manufacturer and a fulfillment center. So we've outsourced our supply chain on those components. Um, to really allow us for this like rapid scale without the learning curve that it takes for us to continue serving at that level and the drain on on being the um, management of those operations at the level we are. So um, yes, we anticipate doing 6 million in online revenue this year. Um, really excited about the growth. I mean, we've had a tremendous start to our year. We got on TikTok, um, highly recommend to any entrepreneurs out there it's just wild how it can fuel your organic traffic. Um, some videos take off. We had a influencer post a behind the scenes video at our manufacturing um, manufacturer here and got like 600,000 views overnight. And our sessions to our site were up 100% from the day before. So it really does drive sales. TikTok's not just for fun dances. It's, it's a real sales driver. So we've got a ton of stuff in the works for this year on how we're bringing out um, you know, more value online and and helping our customers stay with us for the long run. Um, and then we'll see what happens in retail. We're, we're jumping into that. Uh, we haven't mapped out the full projections for what we think is gonna be possible with how many doors we could get in this year and whatnot. Really wanna get those like POs in place before we start to say how much it'll transpire to, but uh, I'm excited nonetheless on what that means for the, the overall. I can definitely see uh, dope uh, being on the shelves in every health food store. Thank you. <laughs> you know it. Put me next to the tofu. <laughs> we'll uh, tell them what they're missing with some butter and our chicken dough. Yeah, so a couple, a couple quick ones as we wrap up here. So 2021, you're over doubling in your, your estimation. How are you going to do that? And what do you attribute all this growth to? Because that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, like I said on Shark Tank, world cookie dough domination. So we're just going and growing. Um, you know, I, I think a big part of our growth, uh, word of mouth is the number two refer for customers to our site. Um, it is, it's more than cookie dough, you know? And I think e-commerce has been able to really share that. There's like a personal note that goes out from you when your package is delivered about, you know, my story, my dream, and what you're helping to support with the give back that we do in our partnership, you know, in 2021, our beneficiary is She Recovers Foundation. So every single purchase of dope is going to help women that are in or seeking recovery. And that's just something that you can't put a, a price tag on, if you will, you know, there's just so much more to dope than just the cookie dough. And I think that's helping to build more brand loyalty than any other just here, we offer something that tastes good, you know, we, we offer something that feels good. And um, and that people can be a part of. So I think that's a, a huge driver for us, you know, on the functional side of the how, how do we get it out? The paid advertisements, you know, will continue to grow this year. New channels that we're trying, um, even things as wild as like product placement in Netflix and HBO shows. So finding ways to get dope into television shows, um, you know, connected TV ads where the ads that play before you're watching a show on Netflix and whatnot. 
Um, lots of ways once you start to get these other engines very tight on um, retargeting. So if someone comes to my site, we've got great stuff set up to help send ads to them on Facebook or Google, you know, make sure that they know their opportunity is there to buy dope. And these new areas like product placement and whatnot, it's all in the hope that I just get a few more people to go and search for dope online and, and find our website. So um, yeah, it's like neat to be at this stage now where we're very much like pour the fuel on the fire. Um, that's a big reason why we're doing this fundraise, both for uh, the enhancements in the advertising spend, but also on the expansion for inventory for retail. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> your your story is incredible. Um, you know, just there's so much there. I mean, you, you, you start off at 16 working at a large company, you bounce around there, you start a brick and mortar, you pivot it, there's a pandemic, you obviously, um, you know, gained your sobriety, which is incredible. So, so many things happening. What, what are the lessons? You know, what, what can the entrepreneurs listening to this learn from your story and your success? I think the big takeaways are, do something that matters, you know, build something that's bigger than just the bottom line. Think about what you want to change in the world. Um, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, I want to do anything it takes to break the stigma around mental health and addiction recovery. And then it's like, boom, all this other awesome stuff is fueling that. So find a why, and it makes the hard days really easier to go through. You know, I've had a crazy, crazy week this week. And I got a message yesterday from someone who we had talked to in 2020 about supply chain logistics stuff. Um, he has lost his brother-in-law to addiction and uh, found, you know, found our company again and was like, oh, we had talked, you know, back then about fulfillment, read the story and, you know, said he was like in tears as he was ordering. So moved by what we're, what we're doing and that there's like a company that cares about um, what's affected him so deeply. And, you know, he's just so not alone. So having that like reason is just, it keeps you, keeps you moving through the hardest times. Cause you're like, I've, I've helped one person feel a little less alone with what they're going through um, personally or through a loved one um, and just never give up. You know, I just keep going as if success is inevitable. You just never accept that it's not going to work. I just think there's a new path forward. So <laughs> I'm always just focused on, I just got to find a new way. Like there's just never a, we can't do this. It's just how. Wow. I, I, and I, what a, what an awesome, awesome set of lessons there. I want to ask you, you know, the easy stuff is where can people buy the product? Where can they follow you on social media? But then just share with us dope for hope and some of the, you know, charitable things that you're involved with and how people may be able to support that. Maybe it's through buying the product, maybe it's something different, but I want to hear about that as well. Love it. Yes. All the fun stuff. So dope.com is the great place to start. If you do want to try some cookie dough, it's D-O-U-G-H-P. Um, so dope.com is an awesome spot. We're at dope on Instagram and Facebook and at eat dope on TikTok and Twitter. Um, and, you know, dope hope if you want to get involved with that, of course, purchasing um, anything from dope will help to donate to She Recovers Foundation. But they also accept donations directly. So if you're moved by this mission, you know, going to sherecovers.org, um, you can donate. And if you are in or seeking recovery and you identify with women's communities, um, check out sherecovers.orgs and find what sherecovers.org and find ways to um, link into what they're doing. They have twice a day Zoom meetings. There's like 150 women that are joining each of those every single day with recovery coaches. Uh, you can be on or off camera, but, you know, a way to be able to share if you'd like or listen to others that are going through shared experiences. So right now with the pandemic, you know, 
community is just more important than ever. So if you're feeling alone, just finding a way to, to tap into a community that, um, that cares and can support you. Super important. I have a couple of reflections on this interview, Tom. And first, only dopes don't eat dope. <laughs> don't be dopey. Eat some don't dope. Be dopey. <laughs> eat your dope. And you know, why don't you stick with the uh, marketing that your team's coming up with? <laughs> I love it. You're that, hired. Was, that was just a reflection. That wasn't a marketing okay. suggestion. And then my other comment and thought is that world cookie dough domination is assured for Kelsey and her team. I love your mission. I'm buying, I'm buying the four pack. I, I had no idea you were e-commerce, you know, as you know, we're watch, we watch the pitch. Yeah. We, you know, and you know, we pull up your website and I'm like, Oh, Oh, yeah. actually I'm glad I didn't know this sooner. That's so funny. <laughs> it's my I only regret. Like, cause we didn't, I, you know, I didn't really share that much on the show. And so people see the show and we don't have as high of a session tick up every time it reruns as some other brands who went on there going, and we ship it right to your door, you know, right. cause we just didn't really share that. So people go, Oh, when we're in San Francisco or Vegas next, we should check it out. And they don't think to go to the site and check, but yes, we've got Four packs, you can build your own two, three, or four pack of pints, and we have all sorts of flavors. We release seasonal flavors. Um, we have like 50 of our red velvet flavor left. We're about to sell out of that one again. So, so someone could build fun. a flight of dope. Exactly. It, we, I love seeing on social people do like a dope tasting party and pretend that it's all fancy and put out like mini spoons of each flavor to try and a little shot glass of milk. So it's super I'm buying, I'm buying the four pack and I, I guarantee it won't last 48 hours. I, you know, and, and I'm going to be 400 pounds next time you see me. <laughs> I can't, uh, I can't deny that that happens. We had like one of our favorite reviews ever. Someone was like, I ate six jars in two days. <laughs> like, I love it. Keep coming. Yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much. Uh, for those that are listening or watching, um, go buy some dope. But uh, more importantly, you know, make sure to support some of the great things that she's doing in, in some areas that people really need some help. So, Kelsey, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you guys for having me. Have a dope day. All right. Great interview. Uh, Kelsey's awesome. The business is awesome. Obviously a massive pivot, great success story. And I got to tell you, I, after uh, our interview with her, I went online and I bought like <laughs> I $80 of this stuff, right? Yeah. I, I cleared through it in like two weeks. As skinny as you are with uh, your young, great metabolism, you can get away with that. Yeah. I'm going to try a little bit of it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy $80 worth of it and here, here, eat it in one night. Here's the problem is, you know, when it's in the house then i get into habit uh, so the habit was oh i eat dinner i'll go in the you know refrigerator and grab a little <laughs> bit you know, a big spoonful oh maybe a little bit more i did that for like two weeks i clear out of like six containers of this stuff that's well, great it's, it's phenomenal good. so if you, if you need it as a treat i i wouldn't recommend it seven days a week but it's a nice yeah. little nice little treat to have in the house maybe four days a week okay <laughs> well let's talk about some of the uh some of the nuggets we took away and uh, again just a, a great great person and what, what I came away with is that she really understood her strengths and her weaknesses. Yep. She really operated in, in places of strength and really surrounded herself with people that could help in, in areas that she wasn't so strong in and I think that's just a it's a it, you know it's a it's a great uh, thought process to take forward. <clears throat> I also uh, noted that they stayed very nimble. 
they were able to pivot, they were able to get to massive online uh, sales and revenue because they were nimble, they were lean. I mean, she was she went into Shark Tank as a brick and mortar business. Yeah, and now it's e-commerce and yeah. a lot of e-commerce. Right. I mean, it's just, it's it's really a completely different how, business. How do you do that unless you have a mind that allows you to go click? I'm open to other possibilities. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to have um, you know uh, the vision to see you know the pivot. Uh, you have to have a small enough ego that you can accept the fact that maybe your initial idea or assumptions weren't either the best idea or no longer feasible because of outside conditions. So yeah, it, it takes a special person to be able to say, I'm literally gonna pull 180, I'm gonna do it really fast, I'm gonna learn all the things I didn't know, and I'm gonna make this thing work. We've seen people fall in love with their business and their business ideas and what they know, and it has killed many entrepreneurs. Many yep. an entrepreneur at the bottom of the scrap heap because they weren't open to other ways of doing things. And my third and last takeaway probably has a lot to do with this. She mentioned that <clears throat> she is able to remove emotion mm -hmm. from a lot of her decisions and rely on the data, rely on the metrics, rely on the numbers. And this is a really big thing. Yeah, you know, you hear me say that a lot uh, as we talk about our business, is we have to do our best to make data driven decisions. And if we don't have the data, we need to get the data. Once we have the data and we have those numbers, we have to look at them objectively. So I don't have enough data to make a good decision. Well, let's just keep moving. Go let's get data. Moving. Go, let's go, let's yeah. go do more and collect that data. Yeah, and, and you know, it depends on what you're talking about, but I mean, if you're running ads, run more ads. Get enough you know, volume to be able to make those decisions. If it's a customer feedback standpoint, well, maybe you need to give out some product for free and get enough data to be like, oh, okay, we need to change this, tweak this, whatever. But we, we gotta have When the, someone the says no, spend an extra moment with them and ask them why. Ask them to give you some feedback when they don't purchase your product or your service. Yeah. Uh, two other quotes I wrote down that came straight from Kelsey. Number one was brand is so important. You know, you really got to build the brand and work the brand and grow the brand and create awareness for the brand. And the brand is the business. Only dopes don't eat dope. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing I had was do something that matters. And you can see that Kelsey's a very um, purpose driven person and She's doing some awesome stuff, not just in the business, but outside of the business. And, you know, we uh, I've been following Kelsey now on LinkedIn for a couple months now. And it's just really cool to see what she's doing, both in the business, outside of the business with some other causes she's involved with. And just a kick ass entrepreneur, just fantastic. And she's someone that, you know, you can really learn a lot from. Um, but the interview was great. And, you know, a lot of that we didn't know. And, you know, so many of these entrepreneurs, when we talked to them, we're like, OK, we saw that on TV. But what's happened since, um, and it's just, we love hearing about these success It actually stories. makes us feel really, really good. We're really genuinely happy for people like Kelsey because they're nice people. And we, you really feel good after you, after you learn the successes and victories they've experienced. Yeah. So uh, great interview, great takeaways for entrepreneurs. As always, thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe on YouTube or iTunes or wherever you listen or watch this. Uh, tell your friends, you know, we appreciate the support. It's really cool, you know, obviously every week we're getting some new listens, which is great. The other thing too that I love is people are going back into the archives because we've now done 20 some episodes and they're going back and listening to those too, which is great. So make sure to do that. Uh, each of these interviews has 
great lessons for entrepreneurs, whether you're new into the game or you're an experienced entrepreneur, really cool people, really cool stories. Uh, there's motivation, there's ideas, there's best practices, there's mistakes, there's just so many cool things. And if there. you're a hardcore entrepreneur and you wanna be with other like-minded people, go over to growth, the number 10, growth10.com and apply to become a member of a tribe. Thank you for listening. And as always, we'll see you next week on an all new episode of Outside the Tank. See you then.